1 Kings chapter 7. Solomon was building his own house 13 years, and he finished all his house. For he built the house of the forest of Lebanon, its length was 100 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits, on four rows of cedar pillars, with cedar beams on the pillars. It was covered with cedar above over the 45 beams that were on the pillars 15 in a row. There were beams in three rows, and windows was facing window in three ranks. All the doors and posts were made square with beams, and windows was facing window in three rank. He made the porch of pillars, its length was 50 cubits, and its width 30 cubits, with a porch between them, and pillars and a threshold before them. He made the porch of the throne where he was to judge, even the porch of judgment. And it was covered with cedar from floor to floor. His house where he was to dwell, the other court within the porch, was of like work. He made also a house for Pharaoh's daughter, whom Solomon had taken as wife, like this porch. All these were of costly stones, even of cut stone, according to measure, sawn with saws, inside and outside, even from the foundation to the coping, and so on the outside to the great court. The foundation was of costly stones, even great stones, stones of ten cubits, and stones of eight cubits. Above were costly stones, even cut stone according to measure, and cedar wood. The great court around had three courses of cut stone and a course of cedar beams, like the inner court of Yahweh's house, and the porch of the house. King Solomon sent and brought Hiram out of Tyre. He was the son of a widow of the tribe of Naphtali, and his father was a man of Tyre, a worker in bronze, and he was filled with wisdom and understanding and skill to work all works in bronze. He came to King Solomon and performed all his work. For he fashioned the two pillars of bronze, 18 cubits high apiece, and a line of 12 cubits encircled either of them. He made two capitals of molten bronze to set on the tops of the pillars. The height of the one capital was five cubits, and the height of the other capital was five cubits. There were nets of checker work and wreaths of chain work for the capitals which were on the top of the pillars, seven for the one capital and seven for the other capital. So he made the pillars and there were two rows around on the one network to cover the capitals that were on the top of the pillars and he did so for the other capital. The capitals that were on top of the pillows in the porch were of lily work, four cubits. There were capitals above also on the two pillars close by the belly, which was beside the network. There were 200 pomegranates in rows around the other capital. He set up the pillars at the porch of the temple. He set up the right pillar and called its name Jachin, and he set up the left pillar and called its name Boaz. On the top of the pillars was lily work, so the work of the pillars was finished. He made the molten sea of 10 cubits from brim to brim, round in shape. Its height was five cubits, and a line of thirty cubits encircled it. Under its brim there were buds, which encircled it for ten cubits, encircling the sea. The buds were in two rows, cast when it was cast. It stood on twelve oxen, three looking toward the north, and three looking toward the west, and three looking toward the south, and three looking toward the east, and the sea was set on them above, and all their hindquarters were inward. It was a hand width thick. Its brim was worked like the brim of a cup, like the flower of a lily. It held 2,000 baths. He made the 10 bases of bronze, 
The length of one base was four cubits, four cubits its width, and three cubits its height. The work of the bases was like this. They had panels, and there were panels between the ledges. And on the ledges that were between the ledges were lions, oxen, and cherubim. And on the ledges there were a pedestal above, and beneath the lions and oxen were wreaths of hanging work. Every base had four bronze wheels and axles of bronze, and the four feet of it had supports. The supports were cast beneath the basin with wreaths at the side of each. Its mouth within the capital and above was a cubit. Its mouth was round after the work of a pedestal, a cubit and a half. And also on its mouth were engravings, and their panels were square, not round. The four wheels underneath the panels and the axles of the wheels were in the base. The height of a wheel was a cubit and a half cubit. The work of the wheels was like the work of a chariot wheel. Their axles and their rims and their spokes and their naves were all of cast metal. There were four supports at the four corners of each base. Its supports were of the base itself. In the top of the base, there was a round band half a cubit high, and on top of the base, its supports and its panels were the same. On the plates of its supports and on its panels, he engraved cherubim, lions and palm trees, each in its space with wreaths all around. He made the ten bases in this way. All of them had one casting, one measure and one form. He made ten basins of bronze. One basin contained 40 baths and every basin was four cubits and on every one of the ten bases, one basin. He set the bases, five on the right side of the house and five on the left side of the house. He set the sea on the right side of the house eastward, toward the south. Hiram made the pots, the shovels, and the basins. So Hiram finished doing all the work that he worked for King Solomon in Yahweh's house. The two pillars, the two bowls of the capitals that were on top of the pillars, the two networks to cover the two bowls of the capitals that were on top of the pillars, the 400 pomegranates for the two networks, two rows of pomegranates for each network, to cover the two bowls of the capitals that were on the pillars, the 10 bases, the 10 basins on the bases, the one sea, the 12 oxen under the sea, the pots, the shovels and the basins, even all these vessels which Hiram made for King Solomon in Yahweh's house were of burnished bronze. The king cast them in the plain of the Jordan in the clay ground between Sukkoth and Zarathan. Solomon left all the vessels unweighed because there were so many of them. The weight of the bronze could not be determined. Solomon made all the vessels that were in Yahweh's house, the golden altar, and the table of the showbread was on of gold. And the lampstands, five on the right side and five on the left, before the inner sanctuary of pure gold. And the flowers, the lamps and the tongs of gold. The cups, the snuffers, the basins, the spoons and the firepans of pure gold. And the hinges, both for the doors of the inner house the most holy place, and for the doors of the house of the temple, of gold. Thus all the work that King Solomon did in Yahweh's house was finished. Solomon brought in the things which David his father had dedicated, the silver, the gold, and the vessels, and put them in the treasuries of Yahweh's house. Wow, you made it through. <laughs> These chapters I, I find really difficult to read, because of all the elaborate detail that just doesn't seem so relevant to us. And um, one thing it does though is give you a sense 
of how elaborate this temple was. One of the um, Bible commentators that I listen to, you know, I listen to some and I read some, he says the temple was like a Fabergé egg. <laughs> now, I'd, I'd never heard of a Fabergé egg before, so I googled it. But there was a, a, a family, the Fabergé family in Russia, for a period of you know 50 or 80 or 100 years made these little eggs but they were very ornate they were made of gold and ivory and the intricate patterns in them and there were only something like 60 or 65 of them ever made and something like only about 45 of them are still in existence and these eggs are so valuable so ornate so much detail went into these little eggs the Fabergé eggs well he said that the temple was like a Fabergé egg, but it was a building. And I have every reason to believe it. We already estimated that this was a $100 billion building. Um, so quite grand. And um, But at the start of this chapter, we, we start out by talking about Solomon's personal construction. Solomon built the temple, which took seven years, but he also built himself a house and in this um, chapter, it described some other buildings that he built. It said he built the the forest of the, the the palace of the forest of Lebanon. It says he built a hall of pillars, a hall of justice, a house for himself, and a house for Pharaoh's daughter. So it mentions five buildings. Apparently, all these five buildings were joined together. So I had thought, you know, with, with no evidence to think otherwise, that the forest of the Temple of Lebanon, uh, the palace of the forest of Lebanon, must have been some kind of palace up in Lebanon. Like, I, I just assumed, oh, Solomon must go visit up there and that's his palace, you know, like his, his holiday house. <laughs> no, it was not his holiday house. Right here in Jerusalem, he built the temple for God, which was elaborate, like unbelievably elaborate, and took seven years, but he built himself five buildings. And the first one, that when you would walk in to go see Solomon, you would walk into the first building, which was called the Palace of the Forest of Lebanon, and it was all these pillars. And we, we actually read it described um, rows, uh, rows of 15 columns, and, and it was basically like you were walking into a, a forest. And, uh, but the pillars were all of gold and stone, and just an elaborate building. So you'd walk into this into Solomon's house, which was actually five different buildings, but all joined together. And you'd walk into this grand, grand building, and you'd start to get a sense for what an amazing place you were in. <laughs> now, there are places in the world that are far more elaborate now than this, but for the time and the period and the economy and everything back then, this was just an amazing thing. I remember going to the airport in Dubai, thinking that was the most amazing airport I had ever seen in my life, with pillars. Like, there, there, was, there was so much room under one roof, you could not see the back wall. This hall was just huge and like, grand. But you know, in the time back then we were talking about, you would have walked into this elaborate structure and you would have felt so grand. <laughs> you would have never seen anything like it before. Incredible. So we start out by realizing that Solomon built for himself. The temple was elaborate, um, and I guess it was mostly elaborate because of all the gold work that went into it. But then Solomon built for himself five houses and they took 13 years. So the, his own personal house took more than God's house. Now we did just say that God's house was a $100 billion project. Solomon may well have spent more money on his own house than on God's house. That's true. 
And it's, it's also a picture of the fact that Solomon, Solomon's a picture of Christ. His name has got the word peace in it, but he's also not a perfect picture because he is also very human and does some silly mistakes. Way back in the book of Deuteronomy, we already read in, in chapter 17, verse 16, that he shouldn't accumulate too many horses, which he did. But chapter 17, verse 17, you know, it says to kings that were to come that they should not accumulate too much gold. Well, there's another thing that Solomon did that he shouldn't have done. So after going into uh, Solomon's elaborate own house, which was five houses, it goes on to talk about this guy from Tyre called Hiram. Now there was a king of, king of Hiram of Tyre. This is not the king. This is another guy called Hiram from Tyre, and he's a bronze worker. And it goes on to describe all the things he made of bronze that went into that temple. And boy, are they elaborately described. He builds these two pillars, for example, one on the right called Jachin and one on the left called Boaz, and they're at the front of the temple, these two grand, grand bronze pillars. You wonder on earth why that is in the Bible. Jachin means he establishes, Boaz means he is mighty. And you think about God, it's, these two pillars are a, a, a picture of God. He establishes and he is mighty, and they're very, very grand, and God is still those things to us today. Very interestingly, but in by no means an endorsement, the Freemasons, uh, there's a lot about Freemasonry that is not good. The Freemasons do some good things with charity, but the whole undergirdings of Freemasonry is not good. It's a secret society and its, it's foundation is on, um, it's, 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 on other, it's another religion. But a part of the Freemasonry culture is this whole building of the Temple of Solomon. And uh, a lot of their rituals, they mention things to do with it. And these two pillars, Jacob and Boaz, make a, an uh, appearance in some of their rituals. So if you're a Freemason, uh, we're not going to say much about it, but I would investigate the, the roots of your Freemasonry. You'll discover that it, at the very base of it, it's worshipping another God other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to get out of it and cut, cut off uh, family ties to that because it brings a curse on all who participate. There's a book about that that I have, uh, a life story of a guy that went right to the top, to the 33rd level of Freemasonry. And I think it's called Blinded by the Light, something like that, or Blinded by the Lie. That's a good book to read. So um, as we're going through the furniture in the temple, we get to this thing called the Brass Sea, or the Bronze Sea. Now this is a big bowl. It's got 12 cattle underneath, three facing north, three facing south, three, three east and three west, this big bowl. And it says, it, it gives some measurements. It says that it was 10 cubits across, and it says it was 30 cubits around. Now, we've got a problem here. <laughs> and this is where sometimes in the detail of things you find interesting stuff. This, believe it or not, this little passage is pulled out of the Bible by atheists to prove that the Bible is wrong, so they say. Because when you're at school, when I was at school, we learned about pi. And we learned you know, how to work out the circumference of a circle, and, or we learned how to work out the area of a circle using pi r squared. Well, what's pi? Pi is a value of 3.1415. And that value is based on the fact that from the, you know, basically the middle of a circle, oh, sorry, the distance across a circle is, um, uh, what am I trying to say? 
basically the value, the outside circumference of this of this C bowl should not be 30. If, if the distance across is 10, the outside should not be 30, it should be 31.415. That should be the difference around the outside. So if you've done your primary school maths and you've done pi, which I think you're doing around about grade six, seven, eight, you will have realized that the numbers, there's something funny about the numbers here that doesn't quite sound right mathematically. So what's going on here? Is the Bible wrong? Well, there's all sorts of suggestions here. The first suggestion, which most commentators say, is that, oh, it was a rounded measurement. Everything was as a rounded number. So for example, the 10, the measurement that was across might not have been 10, it might have been nine something, and they've just rounded it up to 10. Well, you know what, that's a possibility. And the outside measurement might have been, you know, 30 and a bit, but they've rounded it down to 30. So that's a possibility, but I actually did the maths on this. And in my own mathemat mathematical calculations, it all, in this chapter, it, it not only tells us that the distance across was 10, it also tells us that the width of the bowl was a handbreadth. So handbreadth is about this, is this gap here. And depending on the size of your hand, it could be six, seven, eight, nine centimeters, depending on the size of the, of the handbreadth of the person. So we've got a bowl that's 10 cubits across, 30 cubits around in measurement, but the width of the bowl is a handbreadth, which could be four, five, six, seven, eight centimeters, depending on the size of the hand, nine centimeters for a big hand. Well, it turns out that if you calculate the circumference of the circle as 30 cubits from the inside, uh, sorry, from the outside, but you calculate the 10 across from the inside, it works out perfectly. And I did the maths and I worked out that the hand span of the person who did the measurements would have been um, 7.92. Getting myself all confused here now. Let me read to you what I've got. In my own mathematics calculations, if pi is 31, 3.14159, then the outside circumference should be 31.4159 cubits. But the 30 cubits measurement is the inner circumference. So the difference the handspan makes to the thickness of two circumferences is 1.4159 cubits. So if we take the smaller measurement of 30 cubits and divide it by 3.14159, we get 9.549 cubits. So we find out that Hiram's handspan is 0.44 of a cubit. If a cubit is 18 inches, then his handspan is 7.92 inches. Did Hiram have a handspan of 7.92 inches? Sorry, a handspan, not a handbreadth. So this distance here, what, we, what we've worked out here is that Hiram must have had a handspan of 7.92 cubits. Well, if he had an average cubit length from here to here. So I know that might have all been gobbledygook to you, but um, basically what I'm trying to say is that once you actually look at the passage properly, mathematically, and you allow for the thickness of the bowl, all the maths works out fine. It's only if you don't allow for the bowl to have a thick width that the maths doesn't work out fine. So there's a lot of atheists and people that they don't know anything about the Bible and they, they don't take the time to investigate passages. And I think the Lord puts these types of things in here on purpose because he gives people a stumbling block 
And you know the Bible says that the Lord laid a stumbling block in Zion. The Zion's the church. The Lord puts these stumbling blocks there and people stumble over them because people don't want to know God, so they're looking for something to, to stop them so they get tripped up. They get tripped up by these types of things. But if someone was to be sincere and they said, you know what, I don't know if there's a God or not, but I want to know, if they're sincerely wanting to know, they would look at this passage and they would realize, oh no, the maths works. You've just got to allow for the thickness of the bowl. And once you do that, the maths is all fine. And so people who are sincere in wanting to know, they find God. But there are a lot of people that don't want to know and they're trying to find a reason to not know. And so that's where passages like this become a stumbling block. So this is, has long been one of the most fascinating chapters in the Bible for me because of the maths. <laughs> I'm not a, really a mathematician, but sometime you should get a hold of one and sit them down and show them this passage and just say, what do you think about this? Very, very interesting. So Father, I want to thank you for the Bible that's so full of your wisdom. And I thank you that even back in ancient times, it, it, matches, the, the, it matches the value of pi. I want to thank you that your Bible, it's, it's mathematically correct. Lord, I want to thank you that you're so wonderful, that you're a precise God, Lord, that you placed all the stars in just the precisely right places. I want to thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.